You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. What's up, everybody? Brady Klopper here with Golden State of Mind. It is Wednesday, January 4th. Golden State Warriors have just played the Detroit Pistons. And the five-game winning streak has come to an end in a dramatic, theatrical, thrilling way. If thrilling can be used as a negative here since the Warriors lost. Um, They had a five-game winning streak. They did all of that without Steph Curry, all of that without Andrew Wiggins. So... You know, that was amazing. It was their season-high winning streak. When it was four games, it was their season-high, for that matter. Uh, Losing to a very bad Detroit Pistons team is not anything that anyone should be worried about. It's a bummer. It would have been great to see the win streak stretch to six games, but ultimately we're talking about a Warriors team here that is really trying desperately to tread water with Steph Curry out, Andrew Wiggins out, Jonathan Kaminga out, James Wiseman out, Andre Iguodala out, J. Michael Green out. There's a lot of people out, and it's a lot of important players out. So losses are going to happen. They've already kind of banked more wins, honestly, while Steph Curry's been out than... I think a lot of us were expecting, even with this eight-game homestand that they're currently on. So, yeah, just from that very straightforward thinking about losing to a bad team at home standpoint, not a game worth being worried about. Um, And to that end, I just just published my article. If you read the site, goldenstateofmind.com, check it out. Um, After most games, I grade each player relative to my expectations for that player. And um, the Warriors graded out really well in this game. I thought most of their players played well. Some of their players played exceptionally. Um, And Detroit just also played quite well. Um, The Pistons made 44.4% of their threes, which is a very nice number and not a number that they're usually going to hit at. Uh, They were incredibly careful with the ball. They only had eight individual turnovers. And they were playing a Warriors team that, frankly, was just dealing with a lot of injuries and didn't fully overcome it. So it happens. But it was a fun game, to be honest, um, and one where I think the Warriors showed a lot of good things. They got off to a really slow start. Uh, The offense was just didn't really have much rhythm, didn't have much energy. The Pistons are a really young and athletic team, and they're a huge team. They play a two-center lineup with Isaiah Stewart and Jalen Duran. And that combination of their size and their athleticism that, you know, the size of Stewart and Duran in the front court, the athleticism of Jaden Ivey and Killian Hayes in the back court, ironically, the only player in their starting lineup that doesn't really fall into either of those categories is Boyan Bogdanovich, who's their best player rather comfortably. 
Um, but that size and that athleticism it gave the Warriors some fits early on. Uh, they were letting Detroit get out in transition a little bit. They were letting Detroit get easy looks at the rim. And the offense was sloppy. There were just some stupid passes. There were some settling for bad shots. And then uh, I thought Draymond Green kind of helped the team turn it on. He had a few just superstar passes, got players some easy buckets, buckled down defensively, and then the Warriors started to find a little bit of rhythm. But then the Pistons caught fire. Couldn't miss a shot. Took a 10-point lead in the first quarter. The Warriors came roaring back, tied it. Pistons went on another run, closed the quarter on an 8-0 run to take an 8-point lead into half. And then the second quarter was really interesting. The Warriors' defense fell off a little bit, but their offense really started to find a strong rhythm early on. Jordan Poole had an explosion to start the second quarter. Uh, The ball movement was just fantastic. Sometimes the shots were falling, sometimes they weren't. Um... Ty Jerome and Anthony Lamb, both excellent. I believe they both had double figures in the first half, or in the second quarter alone. Um, Lamb finished the half with 14 points. Jerome finished the half with 11 points. They ended up being the third and fourth highest scoring players on the Warriors. Incredibly efficient nights from both of them. Ty Jerome, 18 points, 7 for 11, shooting 3 for 4 threes. Anthony Lamb, 17 points, 6 for 9, shooting nice, 3 for 5 threes. Really, really, really good games from the Warriors to two-way contracts. And I mentioned this in my grades article, but it, it's funny seeing the difference in approach for two-way contracts between a team like the Warriors that is contending or trying to contend and a team like the Pistons, who are one of the worst teams in the league. Um, the Pistons have two two-way contracts, as most teams do. And those two are a pair of undrafted rookies, players. You know, the war. Most teams sign these kind of players after the draft, right? The Warriors signed um, Lester Quinones immediately after the 2022 NBA draft to a two-way contract. It's the kind of weren't quite good enough to get drafted, but probably close. We're going to take an upside bet. And the Pistons have done that with two players, Jared Roden and Buddy Boheim, son of the great Jim Boheim. And those two players have combined to play 57 seconds this season in their debut year. The Warriors went the other way with Ty Jerome and Anthony Lamb, players who had NBA experience already, players who they felt comfortable could contribute immediately if need be. And in a game like this, where six Warriors players were sidelined, you can call it seven Warriors players sidelined if you want, since they have an unfilled roster spot due to uh, financial limitations. Jerome and Lamb combined for 55 minutes, 35 points, and were two of the best players on the court. Neither of those is the right way to do it. Neither of those is the wrong way to do it. Just a funny comparison, you know. Um, and we've seen we've seen the Warriors do this before, right? They, they've had those kind of high-floor players in the past on two-way contracts, guys like Juan Toscano Anderson, Quinn Cook, Marquise Chris, Damian Lee. Um, and we've even seen them have those higher-ceiling players who weren't yet ready to contribute. Chris Boucher was on the Warriors on a two-way contract. He played one minute, if I recall correctly. One minute all season long. And, and then they decided 
and we need someone who's more ready to contribute. And now look at Chris Boucher. All these years later, he's a guy who's damn sure ready to contribute. But the Warriors couldn't sit around and wait for him. They needed a guy like Quinn Cook who could step in and, and play. And that is why they signed Lamb and Jerome to two-way contracts, so that if Steph Curry got injured, Ty Jerome could come off the bench and play 27 minutes and play well, so that if Jonathan Kaminga and Andrew Wiggins got injured, Anthony Lamb could come off the bench and play 28 minutes and play exceptionally well. Um, I have been at times critical of those signings, and I'm starting to have to eat a lot of crow there. I remain critical of the Lamb signing and, and the way that the Warriors have handled and responded to the um, very horrific accusations of sexual assault that have been levied against him. Um, that's not a topic to get into on the podcast. I just want to make that clear to anyone listening that while I certainly accept that I was wrong in my evaluation of Lamb. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. And his ability to contribute to this team on the court. Um... I still have questions and concerns and criticisms about that whole situation. Um, anyway, the Warriors got close in the second quarter, but Detroit was still kind of out-muscling them a little bit. Pistons ended up leading by four points at halftime. It was a good close game. Third quarter was great, great fun. Um, a lot of fun to watch. Both teams just came out with energy, came out with execution. And it was kind of just a back-and-forth game. Fourth quarter, more of the same. The Pistons started to pull away a little bit. The Warriors came roaring back. Clay Thompson, who hadn't hit a three all game, had three threes in, this, I believe, the second half of the fourth quarter. He just kind of put the team offensively on his back down the stretch. Um, Draymond Green got ejected with a little over a minute left. The Warriors down by five. I thought it was a pretty cheap ejection, to be honest. Um, he had one technical earlier in the game from arguing with the ref. Hard to ever judge those fully without knowing what was said, but certainly from what we could see, it seemed like a, a, a pretty weak technical foul. But again, we don't know what he said. But then the second one, he got into it a little bit with Isaiah Stewart, and it was one of those kind of textbook ones where one person is kind of clearly the instigator and the other person's kind of caught in it. Draymond Green is the instigator in that situation a lot of times. I'm, I'm not trying to defend 
that. But he was not in this in this situation. Isaiah Stewart was instigating. I would bet a lot of money that Isaiah Stewart was instigating because he knew that Draymond Green had one technical foul. Um, Draymond mostly tried to just extricate himself from the situation, and the refs called double techs as they almost always do when two players have any sort of a thing. It's one of my least favorite rules, or I don't even want to call it a rule because that's not a specific rule. It's one of my least favorite things that happens with officials in the NBA. Um, I'm, you know, I'm all for turning the cheek, the other cheek and walking away, but, you know, if someone gets in your face or shoves you and you just kind of stand there and look at them and don't back down, um, but you're not actually instigating anything further or escalating anything that should not be a technical foul in my opinion if you do something that would not be a technical foul if it were not for the other person's behavior making your behavior look more interesting for lack of a better word you should not get a technical foul i think double technicals are sometimes warranted and usually very stupid i think this was a case of it Again, not a big deal. This is not me saying the game was rigged or anything like that. The Warriors then immediately scored a bunch of points, so it's not like um, Green's absence actually hurt them. Um, but Clay kept putting the team on his back, kept scoring. They pulled within three. They got a stop, got the ball back. Um, or I don't even think they got a three. I think um, they, had, they had to play the foul game. That was it. They, Jordan Poole, they got within one. Jordan Poole, if I recall correctly, took a pretty bad shot. Pistons got the rebound. They fouled. Pistons made both shots. Sorry, this game turned into a little bit of a whirlwind. It was a wild game. Um, so excuse my memory here. So the Warriors get the ball back down three. A few seconds left. And Steve Kerr drew up a beautiful out-of-bounds play. It, it was a variation of an out-of-bounds play that we've seen him go to time and time again. Um, we've seen a lot of, of high-level coaches go to this this ato play when when the game is on the line um i've definitely seen greg popovich and eric spolster turn to it quite a lot um i cover the WNBA a bit and um it was a play that that is very common in WNBA as well basically what happened is ty jerome's inbounding from the left side they got a whole lot of action curling around the three-point line um and anthony lamb ends up racing to the opposite side of the court in the right corner as kind of the rest of the action is coming closer to Jerome. And Jerome passes across the width of the court to Anthony Lamb. There's that brief moment where the defense is kind of following the ball, tracking the ball, and then someone curls back towards Lamb, in this case, Clay Thompson, whole action had been moving towards the left side. Clay Thompson curls back to the right side where he's moving towards where the ball now is, but not where the defense is going. Lamb catches it, immediately gets it to Clay. A little bit of misdirection almost. And Clay, leaner, floater, three-pointer, good look. Felt like the ball was in the air for hours. And swish, straight through the net. Um... Tied the game with one second remaining. Perfectly executed by Jerome Lamb and Clay. Amazing shot. Outstanding play design by Steve Kerr. Um, 
continues to kind of do variations of this while still managing to get players who really have a target on them open. So that was fun. Um, and it looked like we were set up for a second straight game of Clay Thompson heroics. Um, and then the Pistons, one second left to inbound the ball. I'll have to go back and watch. They, it was very close to being a five-second violation trying to inbound that ball. Um, I haven't gone back and counted it to see if it was a blown call at all. Um, I know the refs are obviously counting there. It's not like they're forgetting to do that. You, you, know, they, you can see them on every inbounds. They're physically counting with their hand. Um, but, you know, refs can be a little lenient, especially in late-game scenarios, and I'd be curious to see if, if the Pistons actually eclipsed the five-second mark. Uh, either way, they got it into Sadiq Bay. Bay made a wild heave from behind the three-point line at the buzzer because, again, only one second, not enough time to do anything except catch and shoot, and it went in. So a bit of a heartbreaking loss, but also a thrilling one. It's not every day that you see a game-tying shot with one second left that's then immediately followed by a game winner. It's not every day that you have two consecutive games end on not just game winners, but actual buzzer-beating game winners, as happened with the Warriors, Kevon Looney, with the buzzer-beating put back on Monday against the Hawks, and then... On Wednesday, Sadiq Bay putting the Warriors on the other end of things. So that was the game. Um, a few other highlights. Kevon Looney, 15 rebounds. That was pretty cool. Um, Draymond Green, not much scoring-wise, but really good defense, really amazing passes, eight rebounds, seven assists. Um, Patrick Baldwin Jr. played 11 minutes. He's, he's getting to be a part of the rotation with these injuries, and that's not going to continue when the team is healthy. Um, but he's playing really well, and I think – I think we can pencil him in for a role off the bench, you know, a 12 to 18 minute a night role next season. I really do. Um, he looks, he has such an NBA body. He's so rangy and, and moves so fluidly. He has a beautiful jump shot and he's starting to just look comfortable, especially on defense, which we know is kind of the key to a young player getting minutes uh, in a, on a Steve Kerr team. Jordan Poole, a lot better than he was on Monday, but kind of had some rough stuff in this game. Not his most efficient. 24 points on 9 for 22 shooting. He did have six assists to just three turnovers, which is a step in the right direction. But he's still just kind of trying to do too much at the moment with Curry out. A lot of dribbling that doesn't accomplish anything. Um, a lot of kind of stagnating the offense. Once again, had some, some pretty bad mistakes in the final minutes of the game, just as he did on Monday. Uh, so... You know, he's putting up gaudy scoring totals, but there have been some some pretty clear issues with his play. Um, and I think a lot of that is just due to the fact that he's trying to shoulder a really big load with Curry and Wiggins out. And I think we'll see him slide into some better habits as he slides into a lesser role once those players return. Speaking of those returns, Steph Curry revealed that he is, or Bob Myers revealed, and then Steph Curry confirmed on the broadcast that he is targeting... January 13th, which is next Friday, as his return date, the Warriors will be hitting the road again. It's the end of their eight-game homestand. That's a game against the San Antonio Spurs. It's a game in a dome. It's going to be 
um, about 60,000 people. It's going to set the NBA record for most uh, fans in attendance for a game. You know Curry wants to play for that, and it's looking like, hopefully, he will be able to. Um, Andrew Wiggins, it sounds like, might be good for Saturday's game. That would be great. We haven't seen him in quite a while. Warriors have two days off in a row here. Regroup a little bit. Come back strong. Finish the homestand on a high note. Thanks for listening, everybody. Make sure to subscribe so you can catch the next episode and head over to goldenstateofmind.com for all the coverage of this game, the next game, and all of the games.